All right, welcome back into the Nick Bob Podcast. I am taping this. It is Monday, February 13th. It's about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. If you missed it, I posted a long Creighton basketball podcast in the wake of Creighton winning their eighth game in a row, knocking off UConn uh, over the weekend in Omaha. It's on the podcast feed. Go check it out. I dive into kind of how Creighton's back into this Big East race. The journey of the season has been certainly an interesting one with you know, starting out 6-0, and losing six in a row, uh, now winning eight in a row, the Kalkbrenner uh, health issues, and now he's back. So it's been very interesting to see how Creighton's arrived at this point. I also give some player-by-player player roster thoughts on each guy with one month left in the regular season. So tons of Creighton Hoops content, so make sure you go check that out. Again, it is on the podcast feed. On deck today, we're Husker heavy, Husker Hoops and Husker football. I got three takes, and I'm out of here. So let's uh, let's do this. Let's start with football and then I'm going to finish with two basketball thoughts. So I, I, I'm just, I, I was thinking about you know, signing day about two weeks ago and, and the dust settling with, with Matt Rule's very first signing class. And I was thinking about just the fact that Matt Rule and, and his new staff, they signed one of the largest classes in the country. They signed a whopping 39 new scholarship players. 39. That is a ton. And there are a lot of ways to, to look at that number and look at, at that in general. Certainly, it appears like Matt Rule is trying to flip the roster. But on the flip side of that, a lot of the returners are going to be the starters. So... In some ways, it's a little misleading to completely paint it like, oh, Matt Rule trying to clean house and and get his guys in there. It's like, yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's totally accurate. I mean, it's still going to be a lot of the same dudes from last year that are going to make up the lion's share of the starting 22 on both sides of the ball. Not to say there's going to be a lot of newcomers as well, but I think you get what I'm saying. But nevertheless, still 39 New scholarship players is still 39 new players. Keep in mind, you only get 85 football scholarships. So from just a pure scholarship standpoint, almost half of your team, 39 of the 85, half of your team almost is new, which is really, really crazy to think about and say out loud. But as I've continued to think about that number, 39 new scholarship players, Matt Rule's first class, I can't help but think about Scott Frost's first recruiting class. Because we're in this mode. I don't know if you're like me. Like, as w This isn't our first rodeo with watching a new coach take over and what he does, right? So we've seen, unfortunately, we've seen a lot of mistakes that coaches have made, whether it's uh, you know hiring and firing assistant coaches, who they keep as their defensive coordinators, who they this for their offensive coordinator, what they do with their roster, who they bring in, how they go about doing all these things. Unfortunately, we've all, by we, I mean us as Husker media, Husker fans, we've all gotten a master's class just by virtue of being around and watching so many people come in, you know, Bill Callahan, Bo Pelini, Mike Riley, Scott Frost, come in and, and you know, step up to the plate with this job and how they go about doing things. We've seen a lot of cautionary tales of like, oh, you don't want to do that. Oh, I saw that before. That didn't go well. And so I, I was thinking about this huge class, and I couldn't help but think about Scott Frost's very first recruiting class when he took the, the job in, in 2018. And I think in hindsight, you talk to recruiting people and even you talk to, to people that were on staff at Nebraska at that time, I think one of the mistakes that, that Frost and that staff made 
was taking too many players in that first class. They took too many guys in that first class. Think about December of 2018, and it was a whirlwind for Scott Frost and that that coaching staff. Remember, the entire staff came from Central Florida to Nebraska. But think about December 2018. Central Florida, they, they win the AAC Conference Championship game. Scott Frost accepts the job the next day to be the Nebraska head coach. All the while, over the course of the next three, four weeks, the staff is getting ready, coaching Central Florida to play Auburn in the Peach Bowl. And at the same time, they are recruiting and signing kids at Nebraska because that was the very first early signing period in, you know, around that December 20th date. So all of that going on in a super short period of time. And in that super condensed period of time, new job, figuring out what you're doing, I think Frost and the staff maybe made a mistake in taking too many players. In 2018, go looking at, at the rival site, in, 20, in the 2018 class, Scott Frost signed 25 high school commits. 25 high school commits. To contrast that, Matt Rule signed 28 high school commits. Now, obviously, the difference in how Rule gets to 39 new scholarship players is the transfer portal, which wasn't as rampant and crazy in 2018 compared to now. But think about that. Frost signed 25 high school commits in that 2018 class. Rule signed 28. High school commits in this most recent class. And I tell you what, man, just if you're bored, go take a look at that 2018 class for Nebraska. It's a lot of milk carton guys. It's a lot of who? It's a lot of, oh, yeah, forgot about that guy. Hey, he was here for a year. He never saw the field or he transferred after spring ball or he was gone after a year. It's a lot of guys who I think Nebraska rushed the recruiting process with and kind of speed dated with them or had a shotgun wedding in Vegas with. Went out, went to the Bellagio, saw the fountains, got drunk, got in a limo, got on one knee, and all of a sudden they woke up with hitched in Vegas. That's a little bit how some of these, when you take a job and that first class, it's speed dating. Because that's, that's how it is. You're, you're only recruiting these players to Nebraska for a very short period of time. So the whole process is really condensed and it can be really rushed. And when that's the case, mistakes, misreads, misevaluations, and kind of the desire to say yes can reign supreme. Meaning saying yes to a player. Do we want to we can offer that kid? We're going to take that kid? Yeah. Okay, let's take it. And it's it's tricky when you're at a place like Nebraska. We all know the recruiting base and it's you know the 500 mile radius and all those sorts of things. We all know the, the shortcomings with with that. How it's just not a very fertile recruiting area. And then we know about the climate. I mean, you really have to vet these high school recruits to see if they fit in Lincoln, especially the 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 recruits, the high school recruits coming from warm weather climates, and in a short, condensed period of time it's hard to do that it's challenging to do that but when you can recruit a kid for you know one two maybe even three years you get a much better sense of how that kid is built what they're all about can they fit in Lincoln do they really want to be in Lincoln you get a better sense of that and I think Scott Frost staff maybe would have been better served to sign a smaller class 
and then have that full year of recruiting, full year of vetting the high school kids, full year of learning the new league that you're in, full year of learning the current roster that you have, and then really maybe then going out and signing a big class if you want to take a big class. So to circle back to to Matt Rule with all this, I just hope that he didn't maybe make the same mistake Frost did in 2018. I just I have a hard time feeling like they, they being rule and the staff, were able to fully invest into the recruits in this class like they will in the classes to come. And I just just makes me nervous that they they took too many guys because that that 39 scholarship influx, 39 new scholarship players, those 39 guys might end up being the foundation of this program in getting it off the ground and getting it back on track. And you need those 39 guys to be the right guys. And maybe more importantly, you, you just better hope you of those 39 guys, you don't have the wrong guys. You know, the, the, the bad culture guys, the bad locker room guys, just the guys that are going to quit and transfer right away and leave right away. You better hope you don't have the wrong guys. And while I think it's a mis characterization and and inaccurate to say that I think Scott Frost first class doomed him no I don't think that I don't think Frost first recruiting class doomed him but it didn't help it didn't help because of those 25 commits those 25 high school commits in Frost first recruiting class 2018 boy you go through it and you go down the list of those commits only about god I don't know five six seven eight of them were multi-year contributors and when you really go through that list, it's a lot of guys that didn't last for more than a year or two at Nebraska and never really contributed. And the problem, it just, that creates instability. And in some ways, it kind of felt like the Nebraska had a hard time getting on stable ground. And it hurts. And I just hope Rule didn't sign too many guys and see some of that same stuff unfold. Not saying it will, but I just hope when I see those that big, big number like that, I just had some flashbacks, some PTSD of some of these former coaches and some of the mistakes they've made being here at Nebraska. Now, I will say this. I will say this. Scott Frost in 2018 and Matt Rule in 2022, 2023 aren't necessarily an apples-to-apples comparison, and I say that on a variety of levels, on a lot of different levels. First of all, the landscape has completely changed in college football when you compare the two moments in time. In 2018, there wasn't NIL. The the transfer portal wasn't as rampant, and obviously there wasn't the lethal combination of the two, the portal and NIL. In 2023, there is. NIL is here, and it is booming and it is a real thing. And then the portal is here. It is booming. And it is a real thing. So those two things change everything. And in a lot of ways, you may see massive roster turnover every single year nowadays moving forward. Maybe 39 scholarship guys, 35, 32, 30 new scholarship guys, that's going to become the norm because it's just going to be a revolving door. You got portal guys going into the portal, guys coming from the portal. You got like, you're, you're just, maybe that's the new world we're living in. 
The Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors, and I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. And if you go onto Pella's website right now, you look at it, and how about this? One, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors by Pella won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. That's big-time stuff right there. And they achieved that in a couple of waves. They got insulated glass, which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. They got types of low-E glass, which is a glass coating that has been optimized for your climate. They got triple pane glass, which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all of that, one of the keys is proper installation, which is key for window and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable. And Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. So the world of college football and recruiting and all this stuff has changed a ton in just five years. So I, I think it's important you first have to acknowledge and understand that in this in the context of this conversation. The other differences between Rule in 2022, 2023, and, and Frost in 2018 is that Matt Rule had months to kind of get ready to hit the ground running since he wasn't coaching, right? He gets fired from Carolina in what well, I think it was late September. So he had he was Matt Rule has been sitting for months after being fired from the Panthers and he could watch Nebraska from afar, kind of get to know the roster. And also once he started to really think that Nebraska was going to be a a job he was going to take, you start to figure out the recruiting landscape, figure out maybe some potential targets, all those things. Scott Frost couldn't do that in 2018. Scott Frost was coaching Central Florida to an undefeated season in 2018 and he didn't have the time or the bandwidth to start thinking about recruiting to Nebraska. So there's that difference as well. And then there's other there's one other difference too. It kind of seems like Matt Rule in this first class put way more of an emphasis on local kids over kids from outside of that 500 mile radius uh, or in Florida or the the kids from the south. Think about this. This was almost like wow. I guess I'll give you I'll give you some time to think about it. Okay, so how many Scott? Th- try to take a guess. How many? How many in Scott Frost's first recruiting class, 2018? How many kids do you think were from Nebraska in that first high school recruiting class from Frost in 2018? How many do you think there were? One, one scholarship. High school commit signed in the 2018 class, Scott Frost first class, and it was Cam Jurgens. You contrast that, Matt Rule 2022 class, his very first class. He signed eight kids from Nebraska. That's a big difference, one to eight. And the reason to bring that up is because if you're going to take a chance on a kid in a short period of recruiting time, the local kid is likely the better bet because he's likely probably not going to be as quick to want to hit the eject button and head to the portal and transfer. Because that was as much of an issue as anything else with some of these kids in the first couple of recruiting classes, most notably the 2018 class. A lot of those Florida kids, a lot of those Georgia kids, a lot of those Southern kids, they got to Lincoln and they hit the eject button fast. 
You know, kids from Gretna, kids from Elkhorn, kids from Omaha, kids from Lincoln, they're going to be a little slower to want to hit the eject button and hit the portal. So that's another way that things are different with Matt Rule's situation compared to Scott Frost's situation. It's just an observation that I had. When I was thinking about the recruiting classes, the dust has settled over the last couple of weeks and thinking about just a, you know the, the amount of guys, 39 new scholarship guys. It's just an element of nervousness that I had when I saw that. That's a big number, man. It's a big number. But there just are enough differences between the two situations to assess. Well, on the surface, we're talking about one Nebraska coach taking over and his first class and one new Nebraska coach taking over in their first class. Like That's kind of where the similarities end. After that, things are very different. But it's just, you know, as I always say, food for thought. Just food for thought. Okay, let me shift gears to, to some Husker Hoop stuff. A um, couple things with Nebraska basketball. You know, I posted a podcast on February 2nd on how, uh, on kind of the, the, listen, the topic du jour around Husker Hoops, especially in the wake of Jawan Gary and Emmanuel Bandamel's injuries, was, hey, what's going to happen with Fred Hoiberg? What is, is he going to get brought back? Is he going to get let go? What's going to happen? And I, in that podcast, go check it out. It's on the pod feed. I, I laid out that I don't think Fred Hoiberg will be fired, and I don't think he should be fired. I've one of my big things. I mean, there's a lot of things, but I, I just sometimes in life, there are certain situations or certain people that you just wait a little longer than you maybe ordinarily would because they're worth it and they're that talented. And I think Fred Hoiberg is that right. Like when you think about Fred Hoiberg's basketball resume and his basketball credentials. With all due respect, it, it ain't Doc Sadler, it ain't Tim Miles, it ain't Barry Collier. This is a different beast here. This is Fred Hoiberg. Was at the Bulls, head coach of the Chicago freaking Bulls, Iowa State, four NCAA tournaments, took him to a Sweet 16, couple of Big 12 tournament titles, played in the NBA for 10 years, was in the NBA front office with the T-Wolves, like one of the all-time great high school or excuse me college players at Iowa State where he he, he got the nickname the mayor like is a different is a different dude now for certain dudes like that you're going to wait a little longer and that's there's that along with a bunch of other things but if i laid out a lot of reasons why uh may i just gave you a little appetizer on like go go check it out if you haven't listened to it but i still believe everything i said on that february 2nd podcast in fact I feel even better about that prediction and that school of thought that today than I did 10, 11 days ago, whatever, when I recorded that for a variety of reasons. Because first of all, Nebraska's 2-1 and one in their games since I posted that. They beat Penn State inside Pinnacle Bank Arena, and then they beat Wisconsin inside Pinnacle Bank Arena. In a comeback win, erased what I, I think it was a 17-point deficit to knock off the Badgers in overtime. And in my opinion, to me, that... I, the Penn State game, they in, I think it Hoiberg was inching closer to, to kind of clinching that he's coming back. But to me, for me, after Nebraska beat Wisconsin, to me that all but seals the deal that Fred Hoiberg is coming back and he is going to be your head coach for 2023-2024. And, you know, the, the reasons that I believe that without totally rehashing my old pod that I posted on February 2nd, I mean, one of the things that has happened since that point is Trev Alberts himself – has been quoted in the last week or so uh, in in the Omaha World Herald, a story from Sam McEwen, in saying that there has been, quote, 
undeniable progress this year from Fred Hoiberg. Here is the full quote. Again, this is courtesy of the Omaha World-Herald. This is Trev Alberts talking about the Nebraska basketball program. Quote, it's undeniable the progress that Fred and his staff have made. The staff additions he made as he recreated his staff has been have been really, really good. Our team is really enjoyable to watch. He also went on to say, quote, I think our team has responded very well to Coach Hoiberg's leadership and changes this year. Do I wish men's basketball had made a similar change two years ago in philosophy? Sure, but the change in approach is a 180. So there's that, because that was also part of my uh, my prediction was like, to hell with what I think. You have to crawl into the mind of the real decision making here, decision maker here, and that's Trev Alberts. And I think how he handled Frost is a window of how he'll handle Fred Hoiberg. And I think some of the things he says, he's a guy that says what he means. And you listen to quotes like that. You listen to things he's been saying over the course of the last, you know, year and a half, two years on the job. Like he he gives you windows into what he thinks. But undeniable progress. I'll get back to that undeniable progress in a second. But the fact that ju- just the sheer fact that that Trev Alberts is saying that at this stage in the season tells me that Trev has no intentions of parting ways with Fred Hoiberg. If it was, if there was even a chance that he was going to fire Fred Hoiberg, why on earth would you say there has been undeniable progress in February? when you might fire a guy in a month you wouldn't say it if you were if you weren't keeping him if there was a chance you you were thinking about axing this guy first of all you wouldn't even do an interview like that right you wouldn't answer those kinds of questions and you certainly wouldn't answer them in the manner that you did so there's that then there's other little things like Trev Alberts going into the locker room after the Penn State and the Iowa uh, and the and the Wisconsin game, like being around the team. That is also telling as well. Most ADs, if they got the axe out and they're thinking about firing or chopping heads, they're likely going to distance themselves. They're going to be playing hide and go seek with the fans and the media, and that's both for with the team as well. They don't comment on things. They certainly don't tweet or go around the team. I mean, Ted Carter tweeted about the win over Iowa, or Iowa, geez, over Wisconsin. And then lastly, you know, this is where, like, you always wonder how the fans, what what, what voice do the fans have? The, the fans still have a voice in butts and seats. You can send a message as a fan in showing up or not showing up. I think that was honestly one of the reasons with Trev along with a bunch of other things, where Trev, I think, was seeing the writing on the wall and sensing the vibe in Memorial Stadium and the attendance and felt like, ooh, this is dwindling. This is going the wrong direction right now. That was in in addition to about 500 other things. He ended up arriving at parting ways with Scott Frost. But the crowds for Fred Hoiberg, Nebraska basketball, the last couple of games, they've been great. Pinnacle Bank Arena has been rocking. Penn State, home game, really good crowd. The Wisconsin game. Pinnacle Bank Arena was loud, really good crowd. I think that matters. I think that matters as well. If the stands were empty, I think that'd send a message too. Not to say that you make all your decisions based on, you know, who's in section 15, rows 5 and 6. You know, I'm not saying that necessarily, but you I think you understand what I'm getting at. 
So that, along with a bunch of other things that, again, I laid out in my pod a couple weeks ago, about 10 days ago or so, I think all those things point to Fred Hoiberg returning. As far as the, quote, the undeniable progress comment, because you know, I got a handful of tweets and emails asking me, hey, what do you think of that? Here, here's the thing. Like, I agree with Trev. Within the context of everything, most importantly, the context of last year to this year, there is 100% undeniable progress for Nebraska basketball and Fred Hoiberg. And if you can't see that, I don't know what to tell you. Now, again, everything's relative because last year's team was a total train wreck. I said that I thought last year's Nebraska basketball team was the worst Nebraska basketball team in my lifetime. There's been some bad Nebraska basketball teams over the course of my 38 years on this earth. That, I think, is a one seed, the overall number one seed of the worst Husker team I can remember. And, you know, last year's team, they weren't tough. They didn't defend. They weren't connected. They didn't play hard. This year's team is complete opposite of all of that. They are connected. They do play hard. They, they're really defensive-minded and defensive-led. I think, to be honest with you, throughout the season and really it, the, with the Penn State win and the Wisconsin win, I think Fred Hoiberg is maximizing this current roster. I Guys, they're closing out games with Sam Hoiberg on the floor, with Denham Dawson and, and you know, like Jamarcus Lawrence. And you know, like they're going Juco, Blaze Kata, Juco, Kasey Tominaga, walk on Hoiberg. Two freshmen. Like, this 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 roster, talent-wise right now, n- they're not drenched in talent, and they're knocking off Penn State and Wisconsin. So I'm with Trev. I think there's been undeniable progress. Now, the hard part about progress is when you zoom way out, which there are some people that want to do that. But that's where context matters. Because if you just zoom out and don't look at specific details and 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 just want to be, you know, super bottom line oriented and go, hey man, come on, man. Year four finishing below five hundred? Get come on. Progress? Get out of here. Okay, you you want to operate in that world like it's it's hard to argue. But this is where you you, you have to take context into the equation. You just do. Right, given the current state of affairs, again, I laid out the context of who Fred Hoiberg is because I think that matters. But then, you know, the context into this equation of the fact that, like Trev pointed out in his quote, that Fred Hoiberg made massive changes to his program, overhauled his coaching staff, overhauled, overhauled the whole identity of the program, went from a fast-paced, you know, small ball, offense, finesse, outscore you, to now tough, bigger, hard-nosed, physical, defensive-led team. New staff, new identity. Like, you have to consider that as well. And then you also have to consider the injuries. Is you know, I mean, again, we've been over this, but you have to take into consideration that, you know, this team lost the two identity tone setters, the two best defenders in Juwan Gary and Emmanuel Bandemel. That is also context and details that have to be considered when you're assessing everything. It just does. So I agree with Trev that in my opinion, there has been undeniable progress made. And here's the thing is like for people that maybe are anti-Fred Hoiberg and want to see change, you hear that comment. And you're like, oh, God. yeah. It's like just because something's made progress doesn't mean it's 
it's great, right? I don't think I mean I don't think anyone thinks that this is a great team and it's been a great season. But in the context of the current state of the basketball program, in the context of where this program was a year ago, in the context of all the changes that have been made from last year to this year and the injuries, I do think there's been progress, undeniable progress. The Dick Bob Podcast is powered by Runza and the cold winter months. It's officially here. And as a warm weather lover myself, the cold can kind of bum me out. But the one thing that always puts a huge smile on my face when it gets cold, temperature Tuesdays at Runza. Yes, it's that time of the year. Temperature Tuesdays are back at Runza, where every Tuesday in January and February, the 6 a.m. temperature at the coldest Runza location is the price you'll pay for an original Runza sandwich when you buy a medium fry and medium drink. Think about it. An original Runza sandwich might be $0.10, cents, a dime, might be a nickel, might be a quarter. Heck, might even be one penny. Just one penny. So make sure you take advantage of this incredible deal every single Tuesday at Runza where the temp at 6 a.m. in Runza land is the price you pay for an original Runza sandwich and you buy a medium fry and a medium drink. It's back, baby. Temperature Tuesdays. Runza makes it all better. So like I said, I think Fred Hoiberg's coming back. I thought that two weeks ago, and I believe it even more today. Speaking of that Nebraska Wisconsin game, um, so I because I got I I got so many people tweeting at me over the weekend. Um, Chucky Hepburn, who is obviously from Omaha, went to Bellevue West, and is now the starting point guard at Wisconsin. Uh, he was obviously back inside Pinnacle Bank Arena taking on Nebraska. And Chucky Hepburn got booed pretty good by the Nebraska fans. The student section got booed by the home crowd in Pinnacle Bank Arena, which sparked a lot of discussion from a variety of people chiming in on it. You know, Jacob Padilla of Hill Varsity, big fan of Jacob. He's a Creighton grad. I've known Jacob for a long time. He he called it lame to 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 boo Chucky Hepburn. Um, you know, Derek Pearson of 93.7 The Ticket, yeah, he tweeted, weird booing from the home crowd on every touch uh, by Chucky Hepburn. Booing your own? Did he lose his home status? Isn't he a Nebraskan more than a Badger? Then he went on to to expand. He said, in case folks don't get it, I'll be clear. Root for the Huskers. Fully support Nebraska. Booing is not required to root against. Booing an opposing team is one thing. Booing one person on that team is personal. Root for yours. Focus on that. Go Big Red. And then even uh, Chucky Hepburn's dad chimed in and saying, uh, I have no problem with fans booing my son. It's competition. What I have a problem with is the entitlement that created the booing because he, quote, should have been a Husker because his zip code, hashtag laughable. So, I mean, there's a lot of different things like a lot of different things to unpack with that. Um, you know, I, what's funny, what's so funny about this is I actually, on a recent podcast, just talked about my experiences being booed. Because some people go, well, what does Chucky Hepburn be booed have to do with Nick Bob? Well, once upon a time, gosh, almost 20 years ago. Oh, my God. 
I was, you know, obviously Lincoln kid, Nebraskan, left the state of Nebraska, went to Kansas, and then when I came back donning a Kansas jersey, I got booed brutally by Nebraska fans inside the Devaney Sports Center uh, almost 20 years ago, 19 years ago, whatever it is. And I did a mailbag. There was a mailbag pod I did, and I was asked about most memorable games in my career, and I talked about that game because it was. I'm not. It was one of the most impactful days in my athletic life. Um, and if you, I reposted that 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 podcast on my Twitter with the specific section marked of where I talk about that game. So if you want, go back and listen because I go in depth and detail on what that entire day was like for me. Um, so go check it's on my podcast or it's on it's on the podcast feed but it's on my Twitter where I earmarked the specific section of of when I talk about that but it was a powerful game and a powerful day for me but because of that I've had people tweeting at me all weekend you know ask Nick Baugh about that Nick Baugh dealt with it this is a new ask Nick Baugh like what does Nick Baugh think of this and you know I gave a lot of my thoughts on that pod so I don't want to be redundant but I can expand a little bit on maybe what I didn't hit on when I talked about it on my previous pod. Because, you know, what do I think about it? Should fans boo Chucky Hepburn? Should I have been booed? I mean, I, I, on, on a lot of things. Like, I mean, it's sports. It's, it's sports. I get it. Um, I do think, like, I do think Chucky Hepburn's situation and my situation aren't comp- are, are a little different mainly in the fact that Chucky Hepburn had an offer from Nebraska. Now, I don't, I can't speak to specifically how hard he did or did not get recruited, but he had an offer to Nebraska. I did not have a scholarship offer to go to Nebraska. I do think that's an important differentiator with these two different things. Because that was something that I obviously wanted to scream to the heavens to everybody that was booing me at the Devaney Sports Center. Like, guys, listen, man, like, before you chill for five seconds. I didn't get offered. I didn't get recruited by Barry Collier that hard, Okay. Like, chill. <laughs> so so I think there's that. But, I mean, it is similar in the sense that we were both the top players in the state, right? You know, Chucky, to me, Chucky Hepburn and Hunter Salas were 1A, 1B. I was the you know, player of the year, Gatorade player of the year in the state of Nebraska 2003. Like, we were both the two best players in the state. And we both didn't wear, we were both from Nebraska, but didn't wear Nebraska jerseys. And now we're back in Lincoln, Lincoln playing against Nebraska. So in, in, it is similar in that regard. And we both got booed. So I, what, what do I think about it all? I mean, for, for me, you know, to be upset and think fans shouldn't have booed me and all that stuff, like I said, it's sports. The, the, uh, that element is kind of the, ver- the very fabric of fandom. Blind loyalty and love to your team. That's kind of what being a, a fan is. Not do, do I did I like that I got booed? Did I enjoy getting booed? Obviously not. Like I said, did I want to grab the mic at the Devaney Sports Center, explain my situation to everyone? Sure. But as the dust has settled, I get it, and I totally understand it. And I bet Chucky Hepburn does too. You know, a student section or home crowds, like their job, if you want to you know, deem them with having a job, is to make the environment 
tough on the opposition. And there are a lot of ways to do that. You can be loud and cheering for your team, but you can also make it tough on the opponent. And there are a lot of ways to do that. And booing a hometown kid falls under that last umbrella. And for me, my guess is, like I read the tweets from Jacob Adilla and Derek, and Derek Pearson, like my guess is for people like that, Jacob and Derek, like my guess is their thoughts on this change because they know Chucky Hepburn. Like my guess is over the last 20 years of watching basketball, Jacob and Derek have seen a similar scenario where a hometown kid comes back to play and they get booed by a crowd, but the game doesn't involve anyone they know, so they likely didn't care or they likely didn't take offense to it. And I get that, but like when you know the parties involved, when you know the individuals involved, it certainly changes the dynamic. Right? Like I know for me, my brother-in-law, he fought in the UFC. When I sit and watch a UFC fight and I don't know the two dudes that are fighting and one's getting hit, you're not thinking anything of it. All of a sudden, it's someone you know and they're getting hit. You're like, oh, oh, God. It's different when you know the people that are in the arena, on the mat, on the court. It's different when you know it. I get that. Just like for me being at the center of it. I totally get it. But when when I'm getting booed, it it obviously sucks. But I mean, we see this all the time. I mean, even like I mean, even look like like LeBron. LeBron left the Cavs, went to Miami for a time, he came back to Cleveland. He got his ass booed. Like that's what that's largely what fans do. And with college, it's even more dramatic because you're dealing with students, students that have oftentimes had a couple of pops before the game. Good student sections both root and cheer hard for their team, but they also do their research and know specifics about the opposition too. And man, all I, like I saw some crazy stuff in college, dude. I mean, some crazy stuff. Missouri student section back in the old Hearn Center, like, boy, they would throw coins at the bench during the game. I remember getting pelted with quarters sitting on the bench at Missouri. They were crazy. Okay, I'll leave it that Nebraska that Nebraska game where I got booed. That wasn't even the only thing that happened that day with the student section. The other thing that happened that had nothing to do with me, the Nebraska student section did something really creative that day. We had a ki- we had a, a kid on our team, J.R. Giddens. He was a McDonald's All American. He was in my freshman class. We were in the same class at Kansas together, and he got accused and got caught up in. Uh, it, I can't remember exactly how it went down, but he got accused basically of robbing Walmart when he was in high school. There was a, a big story on it, big thing on it. He got accused of robbing a Walmart in high school. Nebraska fans did their research. Nebraska students actually did their research. So as we ran out for warm-ups that day, we run out, we're in our warm-ups, right? We're, we're circling the floor. A student must have snuck in a basketball wrapped it tight in a Walmart bag. It was a bag that had Walmart on it and rolled it onto the court directly to J.R. Giddens' feet. Hit him in the shoes. I was standing right by J.R. when it happened. It was like, ooh, (laughs) ooh. 
And the student section, oh, yeah, Rob, you Rob, you know, they're all over him. Like, I've seen some shit now. The Hawaii football team, I remember we pulled up to play Hawaii at Hawaii my junior year. And the Hawaii football team was like hammering our bus as we were getting, get in the fucking gym. You're going to get your fucking ass kicked. Hammering windows, shaking the bus. I'm pretty sure the, an Oklahoma student pulled the fire alarm at our hotel at 3 a.m. when I was at Kansas my sophomore year. Figured out where our hotel was, snuck in, pulled the fire alarm. We got to, we're, we're out in the middle of the night, standing out in the cold. I mean, I go on. Okay, I'll give you one more. One of the craziest things I saw was when I was first time playing at Southern Illinois. So, so people may go Southern Illinois. Southern Illinois used to be, I mean, they used to, that, that place used to be one of the Carbondale, that, that place used to be one of the toughest places to play in the country. Again, college game day went there my senior year. Billis, Schulman, Aaron Andrew, like they were there my senior year. Creighton, Southern Illinois. But one of the craziest things I saw at Southern Illinois, as I'm out for warm-ups, a little kid, like I'm talking four or five years old, a little kid walked in front of the Southern Illinois student section. And that five-year-old boy looked like he was about five, six years old. He had a Creighton basketball shirt on, and he walks directly in front of the Southern Illinois student section. And the student section erupted. Screaming at this kid, yelling at this kid. I'm talking the whole section. Giving it to this kid. Booing him, yelling at him. And this kid was shell-shocked. He bursts into tears and he turns around and runs away from the student section. I was like, oh, oh shit. If they're going to do that to a five-year-old, we better buckle up tonight. So I could go on and on, but some of the stuff I've seen makes booing look mild is all I'm saying. And while some of this stuff is a little, you know, petty and ridiculous and all that stuff, right? It's kind of what makes college sports different from everything else. So it's hard, man. The duality of life and sports is sometimes the, the same thing that, that makes us laugh can make us cry, too. The same thing we love about something is the same thing that sucks about something. The thing that, that makes college sports fun can also flare up and land negatively to some people. I mean, as I walked out of Devaney after my freshman year getting booed, was I, ups- I was upset, man. I was very upset. But as time passes, especially now, I totally get it. I totally get it. I think it's pretty naive. I think it's pretty naive if you are an in-state kid, especially in a place, you know, state like Nebraska, and you are being recruited by Nebraska, and you turn down Nebraska and you go play somewhere else, I think it's pretty naive when you come back to play Nebraska, I, I I don't know what you you think the red carpet's going to be rolled out for you. You think people are going to give you a standing ovation? Like I don't, what 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 do you? No, they're going to give it to you. That's that's a part of the deal. 
Now, the silliness of the fact that, like, if Chucky Hepburn were to transfer next year to Nebraska, everybody would go crazy. Like, yeah, but that, that's, that's, that's the illogical nature of fandom. Like, that's how it is. It's great. You know, that's a part of sports. It's a part of what makes sports is what it is. So, like I said, as time passes, especially now, I totally get it. I learned a lot that day on a variety of levels. And here's the thing. I bet Chucky, Chucky Hepburn feels the same way. I bet Chucky Hepburn feels the same way. So there you go. Three thoughts. Husker football, two Husker hoops ones. Appreciate you guys listening. My thanks to Runza and Pella. And thanks to you. By the way, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Give it a five-star rating and review as well. I appreciate all the support. And I'll catch you next time on the Nick Bob Podcast. A Heard at Sports Network production.